All right, good morning. Good morning uh, here in live. Good morning to y'all. Uh, welcoming Amped Blend out in Roan County. Good morning to you. And uh, Don and Bearding, good morning to you. Uh, you just saw a video about Love Gives in the next three weeks, okay? In the next three weeks, we're looking to, to send a check uh, demonstrating our generosity to come alongside Compass Church. And so this isn't like, oh, someday. What we're, what we're asking you to do is, is to prayerfully consider in the next week, hey, what's it look like for our family to participate so that before the end of this month, before Thanksgiving, we're actually able to come alongside and, and support and encourage that church, Compass Church, as they see to demonstrate the good news of Jesus. Uh, today, we're going to continue in the book of Revelation. We've been in a series in Revelation. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're here, and we're in the book of Revelation. You can open up to uh, chapter 17 is where we're going to be. Um, before uh, our family moved here, we, we lived in a little town in Illinois, in that little town in Illinois, about an hour and a half south of Chicago, and uh, my wife and I were with a couple other couples, and we had gone up to Chicago to a concert uh, to go see Mercy Me. Anybody remember Mercy Me? Love that band, man. I can only imagine. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to do a series. We're going to do a series in December that's actually like, oh, I can actually imagine I can't actually imagine, and yet that's going to ruin that song for you, but never mind. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what happened that night. Okay? It was, I think it was December, January, something like that. It was definitely in the winter, and we're driving home, and it was late at night, and uh, as we're, we're coming down the road, it's just cornfields everywhere where we live, and we notice a car down in the ditch, and it had just happened, and so we, we go down the road, and I, I spin the minivan back around, and come back to this car that's in the ditch. And as we pull up on the side of the road, we see this guy coming up out of the ditch and, and prepares. He's just walking across the road, which would be fine if there wasn't a car coming in the other direction right into his lane at at least 60 miles an hour. And everybody in our car starts to shout, no, stop, no. In the back seat, ducking their head because they're about ready to see somebody, uh, a person have a collision with a car that's going 60 miles an hour. And in case you think I'm exaggerating, here's what happened. As that guy stepped clear out of that lane and went like this, the car caught his back foot and took his shoe and threw it down the road. We're like, whoa, I can't believe we just saw that. We didn't even have time. Not time to open a door, not time to roll down a window, not time to be like, no, stop. And so we get out of the car and we're like, what were you doing? You know what this guy's response was? Can you believe that car just hit my foot? <laughs> we're like, why were you walking in front of a car? That, that poor driver, I felt so bad for that girl driving that car. She was with a couple of her other friends and they were driving down the road. She never saw him, never saw him. She turned around, came back. She was like shaking. She couldn't believe I, I almost hit a person. The cops show up, state patrol says, um, you just need to go home now because this guy is severely inebriated and you had nothing to do with what just happened. That's the world we live in. This guy stepped into that lane and had no idea that destruction was headed his way. That's the story of Revelation. We live in a world that is spiraling towards destruction and they have no idea, no clue that, that it's headed their way, that they're about ready to step in the lane in front of a speeding car and that destruction is assured and it's coming unless they get out of the lane. 
Unless they turn and embrace Jesus and go the other direction, their, their destruction is assured. That's what we've been seeing over the past four weeks. We've seen the same story played over and over again as we saw seals and trumpets and some signs. As we saw last week, these bowls of wrath, all telling this pattern of judgment that is going to come upon God's people. And so as, I mean, not on God's people, upon people, those who don't belong to God. This weekend, as we walk away, here's the reminder. If we have new life in Christ, as we read the book of Revelation, this just isn't a big idea for this week. It's a big idea for the book. Jesus inspires us as his followers to keep following as the world spirals towards destruction. If you don't know Jesus personally, if, if you've never bent the knee to Jesus, if you've never given your life to following Christ, if, if that describes uh, you, if, if you're like, I'm not really sure about Jesus and following Jesus, I, I don't really know if, if that's true. I want to encourage you, keep seeking because it matters that you would decide, that you would say, I'm ready to bow my life before the King of Kings. That's what we're going to talk about today. As we, as we conclude, we're going to talk about there's a difference between being okay with inviting Jesus into my world and bowing before a king. Where we've been in chapter 6 through 16, it gives us these four different visions of the coming judgment of Jesus. And where we left off last week, you remember, like, we, we worship Jesus because of the coming judgment. I know that sounds, it's a mind-bending kind of thought to go, wow, I, I should be worshiping Jesus for the coming justice that he is going to demonstrate. But that's what we see here is that, that the, the chorus, the heavenlies are declaring the praise of Jesus because he will always do what's right. Always do what's right. So in the midst of a world that really doesn't know what the future holds, we as followers of Christ are encouraged to keep going, to keep following, that there is impending doom, there is coming destruction, but we have good news in the midst of all of that. So as we pick up here in uh, chapter 17, here's the warning, okay? This is now going PG-13. If you have kids with you and they're about ready to listen in, you'll get to explain this later. Here we go. <laughs> then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine... Wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly." As we've been going through this series, what we've really been wanting for you to do is to know what to do with this book. You remember that the guiding question for this series is, what do I do with this book? 
And, and as we go through the next couple weeks, we're going to go back and, and hopefully help you see, like, this is what you do with this book. Because um, all it takes is like a simple search on YouTube and you can find what not to do with this book. I was reminded, I, I, I was just watching a sermon not that long ago from a guy um, at a church, a really big church, and I was watching him teach about this book. It's called The Revelation of Jesus, and it, it was a very large church and a lot of people in the room, and as he was teaching them, he, he was at, with supreme confidence, absolutely certain that he had the secret code figured out, and he was describing how that great people from the north was Russia and Putin, and it was playing out in our days, and it was happening right now. And he said it with such confidence that I'm like, ooh, I'm not, I'm not sure I can trust him. I, I, I'm not sure I can trust what he's saying. Because maybe it is. Okay, I want to say first and foremost, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it's playing out right now. Maybe that's happening. But the confidence with which he connected Russia to the book of Revelation and Putin to what was going on in the book we call the Revelation of Jesus, the certainty that he had, I said, this guy's no longer a reliable source. Hopefully you walk away with anything out of this series on the book we call Revelation that you would go, humility is key. And the things that we know, we go, yep, I know that. And the things that we don't know, you're going to go, oh, I'm going to hold on to these loosely. But what we do see, the things that we do know, we're going to hold on with a firm kind of grip. And, and that is that, that in this vision, what we see is that God's going to bring judgment upon the world. That, that here in this vision, for the third time out of four times in the book that, that John, um, he's given a vision by the Holy Spirit, and we need to remember, right? Go back to week one. Symbols are meant to be symbolic. Remember that. And visions are visions. I was reading a book. Somebody gave me a book. I was reading this book uh, on book revelation, and uh, it started out. I read the preface, and it was really good. Yeah, sometimes I actually read those um, most of us just jump right over that. I'm reading. I wanted to know what's, what's this guy's approach to this book. And as I'm reading it, he's, he's talking about um, a book that I mentioned uh, a few weeks back called um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is going to be good. And I'm, I'm reading along and he's talking about um, his approach to understanding revelation. And, and I'm like, okay. And then I'm reading the book. And, and, and sometimes he's jumping in, and, and the symbols that, that seem weird, those are symbols, but the symbols that seem to be real, those are real, and he's jumping back and forth, and I'm like, wait a minute, you just didn't do the very thing that you said you were going to do back in the preface? You're jumping in and out of visions, you know, oh, this is real, but this is a vision. No, visions are visions. And, and here's a concept that we need to understand. When, when the text is talking about sexual immorality and here and the great prostitute, that sexual immorality should remind us of a theme in Scripture. Is it talking about the sexual immorality that's happening in the world? Kind of, but not really. That's... It's that, but it's so much more than that. What, what it's talking about is that the, there's a theme that happens throughout the scriptures, and that is that God equates that, that when his people are no longer following him faithfully, he, he connects that to something called adultery. 
I've been listening to some guys on a podcast, and they, they talk about this idea of recognizing the melody of Scripture. And that's really important for the book that we call Revelation. We're going to see it here in a little bit, what, and we're going to give a practical um, demonstration of what it looks like to, to recognize the melody of Scripture. And so when we're reading in the book of Revelation, if we're familiar with, with the Old Testament and we're familiar with God connecting the children of Israel and that he, when he says that, that, that what you have done is like you, you're an adulterous people, Knowing that, that John's audience is connecting that, whoa, 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 what is this great prostitute and what has she done? And as we, as we connect that here to, to Babylon the great, what is this great crime that's been committed that, that people of the earth have turned from the God of Scripture? They've gone their own way. They, they, they go, I don't need God. So John's response, he sees this vision, it happens, he has no idea what, to ha- what is happening. And then in the next few verses, we see that the, the angel comes and, and describes for him what's happening. Now, here's the thing. As this angel gives John some clarity on what this vision means, it's still not very clear for us. Because we're not really familiar with this idea that there was um, seven heads, and then the angel goes on to say, those are the seven hills or seven mountains, and we're like, ah, how does that help me? But if we speak the language of, of a first century kind of audience that John is writing to, they, they knew that city. I know that city. There's a city on seven hills. The city on seven hills is the city we call Rome. And so there's no doubt that this is talking about the Roman Empire, okay? So this is the Roman Empire, but here's a concept that we need to buy into, that that there's specific cities and specific places and specific times where things happen that demonstrate a pattern of humanity and the coming judgment of God. And another one of those examples is a place called Babylon. So as we pick up here in verse 12, it says, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, and they are to receive authority as kings for one hour. Now, when you see a phrase like they're going to get authority for one hour, that one hour just means it's a short period of time, just for for a short period of time. And then next week, we're going to see a thousand years, and that means what? Is that a literal thousand years? Is it a figurative thousand years? You're going to find out next week. But, But it just represents... A period of time. Compare an hour to a thousand years. And if we're going to hold fast to our method of approaching the book here, we have to go, wait, what's the point? What's the why? Not, not like, okay, well, now it's going to be a literal thousand years and I'm watching the clock. No, 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 no. It was very short, their time. The coming thousand years will be a very long period of time. And, and so for one hour, they're together with the, the, the beast These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful, and highlight and underline and star and exclamation point that verse in your journal or in your Bible. Chapters 17 and 18 are going to tell the same story a couple different ways. Okay, it's going to tell about the prostitute and her destruction, 
Babylon the Great and its destruction, it's telling the same kind of story. But one thing that's really important that we would see in the midst of all of that, Jesus is absolutely clear, his people conquer. Jesus is clear, his people conquer. He's clear. In case you're in doubt, it's not an oversimplification to say, hey, this book is all about the fact that Jesus wins, okay? It's not oversimplification. Now, that's not a reason to go, oh, I get Jesus wins. That's all that's in that book. No, because Jesus wins, jump into the book. Understand it more. Understand it at a deeper level. It's not a, like, I'm not touching that book. Jesus wins in the end. Who cares? No, Jesus wins. Know the story. And the story is about a pattern of humanity that happens over time. This theme plays out over and over and over again throughout all history. And it's going to play out in the days in which we live to. It's going to play out in the future as well. That, that until the, the, the time that's coming in the book still we call Revelation, it's, it's still uh, something that we have yet to cover. Until the, the days of Christ's return, we will continue to see this pattern happen over time. And so a couple weeks ago, Tim Bubar talked about the fact that, that because we can have confidence that Jesus conquers, we don't have to be afraid of something called the mark of the beast. Remember he talked about the mark of the beast? Um, he talked about how the Bible project calls it the anti-Shema because it was on your hand, it was on your forehead. It was a, it was a mark that marked you, and it was about allegiance. What, are, what is your allegiance to or towards? Who is, who is your king? And so those who are marked with the mark of the beast are people whose allegiance isn't to God. But, but in a lot of circles, you'll hear people talk about that the mark of the beast, he's like, you don't have to worry about it. Remember this? You don't have to worry that you're going to mess it up. That somehow you're going to make a mistake and you're going to get the microchip and you're going to be tricked and now, oh, you're out. And yet... There's people who, who go down that road. Okay, so I, I, I'm just going to start riffing here for a little bit. All right. So, so I, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to get on a plane. Tim and I, were on our way to Germany. We're getting ready to get on a plane. And, and uh, for those of you who haven't traveled lately, this is going to freak you out a little bit, that you can just walk up to this monitor. You don't have to give your ticket or anything. You just look into the monitor, and it knows who you are and says you can get on the plane. Some of you are like, it's the last days. <laughs> like, it's the end. This guy won't do it. He's like ducking and weaving and bobbing. And the lady's like, no, just look into it. Mm, I'm not doing that. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Any store that you walk in can know that you walked in that store and you walked out. They already know it. Facial recognition, it, it's there, okay? They know every time you come in, every time you leave, they can know it in a second. We even had somebody that suggested we should take attendance here that way. <laughs> and we're like, can you imagine if our church found out that we're using facial recognition software for attendance? We're like, no. But the reality is, even if we did, we could care for you better. We could care for you better, right? We could, we could do a better job caring for you if we did that. But people are like, no, I'm not doing that, man. No way. 
Guess what? You don't have to be afraid to walk up and look into a screen and for it to recognize your face and get on a plane. In fact, you can smile. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid that, that somehow this great conspiracy out there of the people are going to come and I'm going to get a microchip and I'm, you know what, there's going to be this new financial system and this is going to happen. I'm going to be afraid. And so the, the book that I was reading, it, this guy was talking about that there's going to become one world religion, that this new one world government's going to happen. Maybe, I don't know. And then, and then that's going to happen. And then there's going to be one world religion. And I'm like, how do you not already see that there is The one world religion exists. It's right here in this book. You're like, Dave, what are you talking about? Power, success, and greed. Affluence. That's what this this is all about. The judgment that's being poured out here is on something that we don't consider to be that bad. Economic success. The Roman Empire was incredibly successful. They, they controlled the then known world. They were an economic superpower. They were a military superpower. And they were facing the judgment of God because they had turned from him. This sounds too close to home for me. So what is Babylon? First of all, we, we, we saw this way back when we did the book of Genesis. We saw what Babel was. And the words that get trans, the word, uh, the original word that gets translated as Babel and Babylon, same word. The Bible translators, they translate that word into English. They just don't want us to get confused along the way. I, it's the best that I can figure out. It's the same word. And, and we saw back in Genesis chapter 11 that the people aspired to great things apart from God. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. On their own, people said, you know what? We we don't need God. And that later on in the scripture, we see that there's both a city and a nation that become known as Babel or Babylon. That word just means confusion, and it's pretty ironic if we look at this because they are a confused people. This is a a theme that we see throughout scripture that the pattern of humanity is that they are confused people, that they think success is in power and wealth and might apart from God, that somehow that we on our own can make ourselves into a great people. This is happening in the days in which we live. It's happening right now. Is it happening in China? Yeah. Is it happening in Russia? Yeah. Is it happening right here? Yeah. So instead of sitting there looking and going, oh, wow, it's those people and it's those people and it's those people, what we're talking about is it's the people. It's the people across the world that aspire to new heights but are actually spiraling towards destruction. Now, could this be that there's going to be uh, some kind of economic superpower that will emerge and there'll be a new kind of great system? Here's what we do know. Every great nation will fall. Has always happened, will always happen until Christ's return. And some of you, you just got nervous because you're like, does that mean that the United States of America will fall? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Why? 
Because it's the pattern of humanity. Every time there's a group of people who aspire to great things apart from God, that, that they will eventually be overcome and judged. And so whether or not we continue on as a nation until the return of Christ, or, or whether or not something else happens, the pattern is set. This is how it works. This is how the world system works. If we aspire to success Apart from God, we will be judged. And so there's language that's used that in throughout this, this book. It's used, it describes Babylon. If you're familiar with it, it's, it's, it's a nation called Tyre, it's a nation called Edom. It plays out over and over, language from the prophets over and over about the, the, the coming destruction of God. There's a theme that also emerges And that is that as followers of Jesus, we live as exiles in Babylon. As followers of Jesus, we live as exiles in Babylon. That's why over and over and over again, we talk about true citizenship. What are you really a citizen of? What's most important? You are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing. Why? Because we're living as exiles in Babylon. So am I saying that the United States of America is the Babylon that's described here? No, I'm not saying that. Okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is every follower of Christ living in the world today, no matter what nation they're a part of, is living as an exile in a world system that is actively opposed to God. Every follower of Christ across the world is an exile living in Babylon. That's the theme that we see played out in Scripture. So we're going to pick up here in chapter 18. And here's the encouragement, okay? We sold you over and over again. You're only going to get out of this what you put into it. And so the best thing that you can do, maybe even today, that you're going to go and you're going to read 17, 18 in the beginning of 19. You're going to read it as a chunk, okay? We're going to run out of time. Um, I'd be here for, for two hours if we did that. Um, There's so much here, but just read it because it's pretty amazing. And so we're just going to be able to look at the first four verses here uh, of chapter 18. It says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen as Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And the reason you got to read this is, is it ties back to the description of the prostitute back in 17. It uses the same kind of language. And what you're going to see emerges, the judgment of God is coming upon that Babylon the great. Why? Because she became an economic superpower. Whoa. The sexual immorality that you're reading about, it's, it's an unfaithfulness to God. And so this, that's where it requires sometimes discipline to read the Bible. Because we're immediately going to go to the places that we see sexual immorality in our culture. Does it include that? Absolutely. But it's far more than that. It's greed. It's the lust for more. It's a sickness called affluence. It's not less than that. It's it's more. 
than sexual immorality. It's all the corruption that keep people from recognizing their need that they have to become people of the king. And so then this connects to to Isaiah. It says um, in Isaiah 21, and behold, here comes here come riders, horsemen in pairs, and he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. And so the original Babylon was judged by God and went through this pattern. And now in Revelation, we see that the end time, the, the phrase, the Babylon, the great, that's going to encompass what humanity is up to across the world, that aspiring to greatness apart from the God of scriptures, that they'll also see the same fate. Humanity throughout history has continuously sought to live with prosperity and power apart from God. It's a cycle. It's a pattern. And we're supposed to see it with clarity. This is a cycle and pattern of humanity. So what are we to do? Look at verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. While the world spirals towards destruction, our part is to flee and follow after Jesus. Come out of Babylon. Now, this is where we talked about singing the melody of scripture. This isn't some new thing. John's audience gets this in a, in a minute. They know that that's, that that's the people of God, the Israelites, as they were called to come out of Babylon. They, they, they knew that. They knew that the Isaiah had said, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. They knew that he had said, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Same message from the prophet Jeremiah. Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans. And again, go out of the midst of her, my people. They got that. They understood. Oh, this is a reference to being exiles in Babylon, just like our forefathers were. And as we look to the future, that we also are supposed to be a countercultural people who are fleeing from the very things that are engulfing the people around us. This is hard. And what happens for the rest of chapter 18 is we see this judgment poured out. But there's good news, all right? In case you're, you're left in despair and you're going, okay, now what? Chapter 19 says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Now, in this passage, this is down in your glossary, I think, but I think this is really important. Sometimes I get frustrated with Bible translators on words that they leave untranslated. One of those words that I get a little upset about is the word amen. I don't think we really know what that word means. We just throw it around. Amen, 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 amen. It means so be it. Let 
it happen. So be it. So like the amen period, hallelujah, exclamation point. It's one statement. And if this is where we're going to translate it, so be it. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. And who's, who's Yahweh? That, that's Jesus. If, if we do, I don't have time to explain all that, but... The name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Praise the God who brings salvation. So let it happen. Praise Jesus. Let it happen. Praise Jesus. Let it happen. Praise Jesus. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Worshiping Jesus the forever king inspires our following. This is what we see. This is the pattern. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, the revelation of Jesus is about the worship of Jesus. This book is about the worship of Jesus. And it inspires us to keep following. It inspires us to keep going. And, and as we think about that and we think about a forever king, that's really hard for us because this week we have elections coming up. And imagine, if you would, that as you go to the ballot box on Tuesday, you find a constitutional amendment. And that constitutional amendment says that we are no longer going to select a duly elected president. We are now going to select a king. And you get to vote on whether or not you want a king instead of a president. I think that's going to get about 0.0% of the vote. Nobody wants a king. I don't want a king. But that's what Jesus is. As followers of Christ, we have to recognize that our first and foremost, that Jesus is our king. Is he our friend? Yeah, but not until he's our king. Is God our loving father? Yeah, but not until Jesus is our king. This is the first encounter. Jesus is our king before he is anything else. That's the good news of the gospel. You get to join the good news of the kingdom of God. How? You submit to Jesus as king. And then what? You get all the other stuff. All the other stuff comes when you do this. This week, I, I was convicted in my heart. Like, we, we've, we've put this a different way. Like, invite Jesus into your life. Invite Jesus to become part of your plan. Well, you know, if you feel like it, add Jesus to your. That's not the picture of the scriptures. The pictures of the scriptures is, will you bow before a king? And then when you bow before a king, you get everything else. But will you have the humility to bow before a king. That's the picture. And when we bow before the king, we can become part of a new kingdom. And then when we study the book of Revelation, we get excited. As I, as I was watching that guy, as he was teaching about the book of Revelation and talking about Russia and Putin and all this stuff, all I could tell was like it was all fear-based. And as I watched that, I was like, if he really believed that was true, how is he not more excited to be like, oh, hey, this is so cool, man. This is Russia and Putin and whatever, whatever it's happening. It, guys, it's happening in the days in which we live. This is exciting. How is he not doing that? Instead, it was like, oh, we need to be careful because this is happening. That is not God's story. God's story is he's going to come. And when he does, that we get to be part of it and we're going to celebrate and worship forever. It's the thing we're living for. 
to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's good news. And so we don't have to run around afraid. And as you think about the book that we call the revelation of Jesus, think about what your response is. Is it anxiety, fear, faith, confidence? Maybe it's worship. Maybe it's inspiration to keep following. I don't know. It's supposed to take us on an emotional journey. It's supposed to take us to this place of going, wow, that's massively confusing, and I don't understand that, but Jesus wins. And okay, I'm not sure I can get my mind around that, but Jesus wins. And okay, how do I? Oh, then there's more people praising him and praising him and praising him and praising him. Have you noticed since we've been studying the book that we call Revelation, have you, have you noticed how many worship lyrics that we're singing are right out of this book? And you never even knew it. So it's supposed to inspire us. And I'm not saying you're there, but I'm saying stay with it. Hang with it until your fear is gone and you have confidence that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God to the praise of Jesus, right? Like I can praise him that his judgment is coming. I can praise him that his mercy is still available like we learned last week. I can praise him in the midst of all that's happening in a world that's crazy because I have confidence in the king of kings. As we look into this week, what are you going to do? That's the question. And we've talked about the live it out. The live it out is, is more than just a rote thing. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we hired a, a new discipleship pastor, Tim Bubar, right? And now we're finally going to get after it. Guess what, folks? We've been getting after it. It's called live it out. If you're wondering what our great new discipleship process is going to be, it's called live it out. Put this stuff into motion. And we're not even talking about application. We're talking about living it. Well, how do you live it if you don't do it? You do, do the stuff. It's right there every week. If you want to have a discussion with somebody, use it. Or dig into the text and have a discussion. Do the stuff. Why? It's required there be a people who are word-dependent and spirit-empowered that we would put the word of God in. That's our part. So do the stuff. And then two, bow before the king. None of this matters until we first and foremost bow our lives before the king. So whether or not that's the first time or, or you're going, you know what? I need to live in this place where I'm daily recognized as Jesus. You're my king. I know that's me. I know I had to encounter that this week. I had to wrestle with that. What's it look like for me, me to live in light of the fact that Jesus is my king? But, but if you've not submitted your life to Jesus as the king, don't wait. Don't wait. The scriptures say that it shall come to pass in Acts chapter 2 that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this isn't complicated. Don't make it overly mystical. It's simply saying, Jesus, I am not and you are. Jesus, you are my king and I will follow. Make it that simple. I am not, but you are. I, I commit my life to bowing before you. As you go into your, your week, I want you to wrestle with that. That you would wrestle with, have I bowed my life before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And then for those who have, right? You can't ask this question until you first have bowed your life before King. And then it's to ask Jesus, where are you inspiring me to follow closer? Where? Where are you like, okay, come to me closer in this area of your life. 
Keep holding, stop holding me at a distance in this area of your life. What's the thing that he's speaking into your heart and mind right now where he's saying, come closer, come closer with that. That, that fear that you have, that care that you have, that anxiety that you're carrying, that child that's wayward, your marriage that's about ready to fall apart or did fall apart. That, that whatever it is that you feel like, okay, the job that you might lose, the job that you lost, whatever that is, hey, come closer to me in that area of your life. And so that's what we're going to do right now in every one of our venues. We're going to give you a chance to, to ask that question, but also to wrestle with, do I need to bow before the king? And, and if you make the decision today to bow before the king, tell somebody. No matter what venue you're in, tell somebody. Tell somebody that, that today I've decided to follow Jesus, that I have bowed my life before the king of kings. And then for the rest of us, Jesus, where you inspire me to follow you closer? Let's ask him that question. And then when a thought crosses your mind, write it down. Take out, your, take out your phone. Put it in the notes app. Write it down on a piece of paper. And then as you walk into this week, keep asking him about it. We believe that God communicates to us. We just held a big event because we believe that God communicates to us. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live in relationship with him, is to allow him to draw us closer. And so ask him that question. Where are you inspiring me to follow you closer? Jesus, we're so grateful that you are the good and perfect king, that you call us, that you chose us, that we are faithful as we pursue you, even in the midst of the struggle. And in these moments, we ask that your spirit within us would well up as we declare your praise. Amen. Here in live, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand if you would. And as you stand, we're going to enter into a time of worship, declaring our praise to the king.